Welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law Podcast Series. My name is Alexandra Kamerling. I'm one of the London-based partners specializing in antitrust law at the business global law firm DLA Piper. I'm delighted to be joined today by Laura Petroni. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, indeed, thanks, Alexandra. So uh, I'm senior analyst in global data thematic research team. And in thematic research, we look at uh, all the themes that are disrupting uh, companies and uh, this across different uh, uh, industries. So uh, th these themes we look at can be technology themes like artificial intelligence or uh, industrial internet, but they can also be regulatory themes uh, like antitrust and data privacy uh, or misinformation, or they could be macroeconomic themes uh, uh, such as the, the India or China's technology scene. So it's a very wide-ranging topic that we're going to be discussing today, but um, where do you think we should start? I thought it'd be interesting to, to look more closely at the uh, discussion we, we have these days on uh, uh, how to adapt traditional antitrust rules to the digital economy, uh, as uh, it's becoming increasingly clear that competition laws were, were not really um, envisaged for uh, the digital world. And this is especially true when, when we look at uh, you know, uh, antitrust issues and anti-competitive practices. Uh, so. Uh, I think, uh, Alexandra, today there is a strong case for new and more proactive regulation on this. But, uh, how do you think uh, did, did we get here? It's quite interesting because, of course, antitrust as sort of a, um, a view of regulating competitive behaviour in markets has been around for a very long time. Um, and there is, you know, sort of the current sort of investigations that have been going into the, the big tech platforms have been on the basis of the existing law, which is very much sort of on the basis of abuse of a dominant position. But of course, that was developed initially in order to be able to regulate the former monopolies from member states. Um, where markets were being opened up and liberalized. Um, and so it was a question of sort of opening up the use of fixed assets, for example, so to be shared up with potential entrants into markets or focusing on abusive behavior from someone who was clearly in a dominant position. Now we're looking to try and regulate companies as sort of the big tech um, companies are growing in strength from a very competitive base. So they've been very innovative in their approach to things and they have been growing. Um, and then there is also the issue of just the very, very fast pace of change in a lot of these technological um, markets. So regulators have basically come to the recognition that a traditional abuse of dominance investigation isn't really um, the right tool to, to, to look at these markets because um, the time involved, I mean, sort of a typical investigation of abuse of dominance can take anything from five to six to seven, eight years time. And then you have appeals on the, on the fines and things like that. And the outcome is finding a business rather than not necessarily addressing the future way forward for um, competition to be introduced into the market. So I think the regulators have used the insights that they've gained from their um, investigations that they have been doing on the basis of abuse of dominance, but have come to recognize that they need a different tool set to intervene in these very fast changing markets sooner. In the traditional monopolies, very often it was fixed assets. 
one of the things that I think everyone is beginning to recognize now is that the collection and aggregation of big data is becoming very important and that is almost becoming like an the equivalent of an essential facility particularly if you think of you know we're at the cusp of the sort of the whole AI revolution which requires big data and so how do you access that data how do you share that data in a marketplace between competitors is becoming quite critical but what about yeah. you Laura what do you think is causing this whole regulatory change and, and interest about amongst so many of the regulators I mean do you think Covid has changed things, things like that yeah yeah absolutely uh, Covid uh, uh, certainly played a role and you know what well, um, last year in global data we published a report on uh, on a future work where we uh, identified the, the main technologies uh, enabling the future work both in the offices and in factories we concluded that digital platforms uh, specifically big tech companies are leaders in many of the uh, of the technologies enabling the future work like artificial intelligence but also collaboration tools uh, autonomous vehicles uh, computer vision and many others so uh, in times of COVID, uh, th th these platforms have uh, uh, really shown a strong resilience and, uh, and have even, even been strong beneficiaries of, of the pandemic uh, in sector like e-commerce or if you think uh, collaboration tools, of course, and digital payments as well. So all these sectors have even boomed. Uh, due to this, this increased dependent, dependency on, uh, uh, on the online platforms. And all these at a time when uh, you know, much of the global economy was uh, and still is in, in big trouble. I think that's a very fair point. And I think for most listeners will have direct personal experience of, you know, the whole switch over to e-commerce. Um, and yes, there have been numerous reports that have just sort of said that that, that, that switch over from your traditional high street to online shopping has, has been accelerated to incredible um, extent by uh, by COVID. So I think, I think you're very right there. And that that probably makes sort of the regulators who are often not just antitrust regulators, but obviously also have a, a mandate to do consumer protection has basically made this all the more important for them to, to, to look to see how they um, how they intervene. Now, in terms of regulators and, and sort of what is on the card there for, for sort of the, this industry, um, the EU Commission is clearly one of the leading regulators that has, has taken on the, the, the lead of the charge of looking into how to try and regulate um, big tech data. Um, do you want to give us sort of a quick summary for the listeners as to what exactly they're proposing? So uh, in December of last year, the European Commission unveiled two legislative proposals, uh, the Digital Market Acts and uh, the Digital Services Act. So these proposals uh, address probably the two biggest issues of digital markets. The Digital uh, uh, Market Act uh, tackle issues related to antitrust, uh, why the, the Digital Service Act wants to address more issues related to uh, online harm and misinformation. Now, the Digital Markets Act wants, wants to constrain platforms so they uh, so that they don't become monopolies. And uh, it does so by uh, defining the scale of the platforms that require uh, to be monitored. Um, and these are defined as gatekeepers. Um, so in terms of uh, 
they're defined as gatekeepers uh, looking at both their global turnover, but also the number of users. And specifically in the proposed law, the definition applies to all platforms with at least 45 uh, uh, million monthly active users and with, with a turnover of uh, at least 6.5 billion euros operating in at least three European Union countries. Uh, now, what makes digital, the Digital Markets Act proposal innovative is that it sets some clear measures that can be assessed for defining a digital market rather than relying on more difficult to, to, to measure criteria like, for example, uh, trying to measure how strong our network effects for, for these platforms. So you basically have a list of uh, prohibited um, uh, behaviors like uh, self-preferencing uh, is one of them, but also you know, using a competitor's data to, to gain some uh, advantages, some advantages position in the market. Uh, and all this allow regulators to, to enforce these rules ex ante uh, and, and to ensure minimum condition uh, to avoid that, that avoid monopolies. And this the most important thing that you mentioned without going through, you know, long time consuming uh, uh, in investigations. Um, the Digital Service Act, on the other hand, wants more to um, introduce some, uh, a code of conduct uh, for hate speech, but also a code of practice on disinformation. And, and these codes are mostly aimed at uh, creating a sort of a, a minimum level of transparency and uh, accountability for, for digital platforms. For example, uh, they are required to present transparency uh, reports for how they do the content moderation, or they are required to, to present some annual risk assessment report. Now, um, one interesting, interesting thing is that the Digital Service Act doesn't remove the existing liability exemption regime for online platforms. So this is a regime which protects platforms from most lawsuits that, that are related to content posted by users. And uh, this is one of the main principles of the internet and uh, which has allowed, you know, technology companies to, to grow and to develop over time. So there's no requirement for platforms to monitor speech, but um, there is a, a requirement in certain cases to, um, I mean, in, in certain cases, these platforms would be held liable for third party content, for example, when they fail to act uh, after uh, uh, being notified of, uh, alerted of uh, illegal content. So, if you put these proposals together and combine them with the existing regulation on GDPR, um, you have a really strong framework uh, aimed at preventing uh, not just concentration of power in digital markets, but also um, uh, making sure that you know some side effects associated with uh, how this platform uh, work are sort of mitigated. Uh, these, sides, uh, effect, these side effects are mainly related to misinformation and uh, data privacy issues. I mean, I think one, one of the interesting things is that um, there does seem to be a push, certainly in Europe, to, for a preference of having sort of ex-ante regulation rather than um, sort of uh, looking at structural solutions by, for example, breaking up some of these platforms, particularly where they have sort of dual use roles, for example. And I think from my perspective, I think what the regulators are trying to do is 
um, they refer to sort of tipping markets. You know, you have platforms that um, as they gain more users, they become more attractive for those users. And that is a good thing. Um, so they're not they're not saying that, you know, having a large single platform isn't good because they recognize that there are efficiencies of having one very big marketplace, for example. But what they're trying to do is prevent that over tipping effect where it increases barriers to entry and therefore would stifle innovation from potential competitive rivals. Um, and you then end up with only one platform, for example, on a national scale or on a global scale. Um, and so I think you're right. I think that particularly if you look at the, um, the Digital Markets Act, vis-a-vis um, -vis the gamekeepers, um, a lot of the behavior that they're gonna try and um, step in sooner with is things like the self-preferment that you mentioned, but also interoperability to make it easier for people to come up with sort of neighboring products that can be used with um, a certain technology, um, preventing overuse of exclusivity so that you have, you're forcing users to only use one platform, for example. Um, and the other dynamic, and you did mention data privacy um, as, as being quite important, is data privacy is, is turning out to be an issue both of protecting users' private information, but also as a competitive dynamic. And I think the German authority was one of the first to sort of identify this and sort of saying, well, actually, you compete on price, you compete on service, but why not also compete on the extent to which you protect people's privacy and data and how you use that data? So there is a recognition that actually privacy and data itself may be a competitive dynamic. But equally, the bigger these platforms get and the more data they gather, the greater the hurdle it is for third parties. And so again, it breaks into that. What we're trying to do is ensure that going forward, competition is still alive um, in the market. So hopefully um, it won't be a question of breaking up these platforms and with structural remedies, but sort of trying to regulate it in a way that allows for new entrants and innovation. But Another way to sort of regulate these, the, the sort of this industry and, and what's happening is um, through merger control, isn't it, um, Laura? And I don't know whether you sort of want to bring that up and, and sort of what you're seeing in terms of merger control. Yes, indeed. And uh, antitrust regulators are moving towards uh, scrutinizing uh, uh, merger and acquisition deals much more closely. And it is because they are increasingly concerned that um, by acquiring uh, smaller rivals, startups, uh, digital markets end up engaging in, in a sort of systematic practice uh, to, to, to crush this competition. So they basically, uh, they are concerned that uh, these platforms engage in so-called killer acquisitions. So some regulators indeed are asking big platforms to, to notify all of their uh, M&A activity uh, that uh, in US, the Federal Trade Commission and the, the Department of Justice have both requested that uh, big tech companies provide data on uh, acquisitions that, that they have uh, pursued uh, over the last 10 years. In a very similar way, the Digital Market, uh, Market Act also uh, uh, has something on, on this and um, though I mean it's, a, it's only a proposal for now. So it, it introduces the obligation for big tech companies uh, to notify regulators all their M&A deals um, 
they, they have been involved, they're involved in. So in the eyes of regulators, this would allow a better understanding of uh, M&A activity and also the impact of this activity on the whole ecosystem. So it's an increased scrutiny which could potentially result in more investigations and also uh, it's increasingly viewed as a way of preempting uh, any anti-competition anti issues. Yeah, and I think it is interesting. I mean, I think you're right that the MA obviously targets certain recognized gatekeepers who will fall within this legislation who will have to notify everything. Another way where some of the regulators are trying to sort of make sure that they, they're able to pick up and preview transactions is by having um, a, th a merger control threshold based on the value of the transaction. Because of course, the, um, the big watershed case um, back in 2014 was Facebook WhatsApp, which didn't actually hit the EUMR thresholds um, and should therefore not have had to be notified to Europe, the parties in that case chose to um, to do a reason submission and notify but it made people wake up to, to the fact that some of these platforms don't necessarily have a very high turnover because they offer this their services for free for example to users but they have a lot of value in the market because of the data that they have on users and so this value of a transaction is one of the thresholds that a lot of the merger control regulators are thinking about um, in addition to potentially making it automatically mandatory to file a notification for certain um, entities. Um, and just today, I noticed that, um, you know, new new regime in place, um, new government and um, the Democrats are already proposing um, potential legislation would change the burden of proof um, in certain transactions, um, as well as a, to address these things. Now, one of the reasons I think, and that's why it's quite interesting, sort of, you've got ex ante regulation on the one hand, You've also got merger control, which of course is also preemptive because it allows a regulator to consider what the potential impact of a merger transaction is going to be. And that again is for them a very powerful tool because of course, when transactions are trying to do a corporate deal, particularly if you're a listed company, for example, you're gonna have a certain timetable, you're going to, there's gonna be a, a growing pressure to get the deal done and close. Um, and so they might be more willing to offer concessions along the lines of the behavioral requirements that they want of the big platforms ahead of it potentially being a problem. So I think there's, there's a very interesting dynamic um, that um, is, is happening there. So there's a lot of, uh, we've mentioned that obviously both the, the DSA and the DMA are uh, proposals. How soon do you think this is all going to come into the statute books, Laura? I mean, what and are there any particular hurdles that you foresee before that happens? Uh, yeah, so both proposals are well are still quite far from becoming law. Um, and um, yeah, the European Commission, uh, together with the European Parliament, uh, national governments as well, um, uh, have started negotiation of the of these drafts. So expect heavy lobbying from different stakeholders, uh, both from big companies, but also from civil society uh, organizations. So I think overall there is a long way to go before reaching uh, an agreement on this. So it might be that some changes um, will be included and uh, yeah, there is a possibility that the original proposals um, 
uh, might be watered down during this, uh, this, this process. Also, um, at the member states level, there are some disagreements on how to, to, to best regulate uh, these companies. Uh, as some countries would like to move forward uh, with approving their own regulations on antitrust and, and online harm uh, and as quickly as possible, even before the Digital Market Act and Digital Services Act will come into force. So, well, at the same time, we should consider that it's not really clear whether the new EU regulation will, would allow member states to have their own tools on, on these unregulated antitrust uh, and uh, misinformation or um, whether a, a, strong, a stronger harmonization will, will be required instead. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. And I think, I mean, if we stick with Europe and member states relationships, um, you know, certainly in the merger control regime, we, we're quite used to having both levels of regulation. And, you know, there's a recognition that certain size transactions get looked at by the European Commission and others get looked at uh, national level. And as you, you know, sort of, as you mentioned, the, um, the Digital Markets Act does require a platform to be operating in at least three member states. So you can quite see a situation where the larger, bigger international platforms get regulated by the European Commission. But if you are a, you know, a startup which has got a really good B2B platform in one member state, even if you're growing quite significant in size in that one member state, that you're subject to the national regulations. So I, I think that's that should be able to be managed. I think what's going to be more difficult is what's going to be happening outside of Europe. Um, and do you want to sort of give a quick overview as to what's happening in other jurisdictions? Yeah, indeed, it'd be very interesting to look at these other developments because uh, we are seeing that other countries are also experimenting with some forms of uh, ex-ante regulation. For example, China uh, has drafted some, um, well, its own antitrust rules last year. And uh, according to these rules, some practices like, for example, forcing sellers to, to sell their products uh, exclusively on one platform, uh, on one platform are considered uh, anti-competitive. Uh, and also the larger platforms, um, uh, might be even forced to to open uh, to open up to rivals or even to share some of their data. Um, alongside China, also, uh, India as well is uh, is trying to is pushing with, with some uh, some new uh, antitrust re uh, regulation and uh, it's sort of setting the agenda in the in the area, uh, and is doing so by looking at some specific measures for the digital payments market, which is one of the uh, most dynamic uh, in the country and here the, the regulation establishes that uh, basically no single player can grab uh, more than 30 percent of the total payment uh, uh, total payments transaction in the in the digital payment market um, of course you have different motivations behind this uh, interest in, in antitrust by both uh, sides. Uh, the Chinese government wants uh, to regain control of the fintech sector, which is now dominated by two big uh, two, uh, tech uh, technology giants. While in India, regulators seem, seem more concerned about making sure that India companies can compete on uh, 11 playing field 
uh, with uh, with known uh, India uh, companies uh, which are which are very very strong uh, in the country. Um, so moving to the US, here regulators are uh, exploring the possibility, uh, as uh, as we said earlier, of uh, breaking up digital platforms. Uh, so it, 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 this is uh, viewed as an effective remedy now, as opposed to uh, what's happening in the European Union, where I mean, um, um, the, the breaking up a company is more considered like a remedy of last resort, and for example, you, you have the twin lawsuits filed by the Federal Trade Commission, uh, uh, but also by the 48 state attorneys general uh, against Facebook, um, uh, which raised the, the prospect of forcing uh, the companies to, to, to spin off some of their uh, business units. So in the case of Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, a company which was acquired a few years ago. And of course, well, uh, in this case, the Federal Trade Commission will need to prove that, you know, breaking up Facebook is the solution and this won't be an easy task. Uh, at the same time, you know, you, we, we are talking about basically the unwinding of a merger, which is something totally new and explored for, for regulators. So, uh, Either I, way, I beg to differ there, <laughs> in the sense that the UK, funnily enough, has actually got quite a tradition of using structural remedies when necessary. Both, um, I mean, they do unwind transactions in a in a normal merger control uh, context because we have a voluntary merger control system, so they they're quite used to completed transactions and then still prohibiting them. But more generally, in terms of markets where there is a problem. They, the CMA have, um, and its predecessor, the, the Office of Fair Trading, have imposed structural remedies in, for example, the um, airport sector. Now, I think one of the key differences for me um, is, and that's why I think an ex-ante uh, regulation makes more sense. Um, for a lot of these IT platforms, it is actually an efficiency and a benefit for the users to have a single large platform rather than a very fragmented market. Whereas in a, an airport industry, you can just very easily imagine that actually the synergies that you get from running both Heathrow Airport and Stansted Airport are less. They are two local um, airports, if I can put it that way. So it's easier to break those up and to, and to generate competition, but run those efficiently. Whereas in terms of technology, it makes more sense to have a single platform. So I think the debate on structural remedies in the in the uh, in the tech industry is going to be quite a fierce one and quite a lively one to watch. Um, I think yeah. ex-ante regulation is, is slightly easier because one can see it open. Yeah, up the market yeah. And, and indeed, uh, the the Digital Markets Act does uh, contemplate the possibility of a, a breakup. Uh, I think these companies once defined gatekeepers, so some of their business uh, unit can be spinned off in case they are found to uh, violating the rules for uh, and being fined for uh, three times in, in just five years. So this is really a possibility contemplated by uh, the, 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 the EU ex-ante regulation as well, though it's more like, a, is viewed more like, a, yeah, uh, a last uh, resort is a nuclear option. You're a bad boy, is that? You're a bad boy <laughs> yeah. three times and we give up. Yeah. Pick you up. But um, so, in terms of 
um, companies out there, you know, if, if you play ball and are reasonable with the regulators and do actually sort of work towards them with codes of conduct and, and, and sort of trying to make sure that you're behaving in what is understood to be a, a fair basis for, for sort of allowing competition in the marketplace, then you should hopefully be avoiding the, the big stick. You know, you've mentioned all of these different jurisdictions, all looking at similar problems, but from slightly different national perspective, whether it's China, the US, um, India. Um, so we are potentially going to see quite a lot of divergence, which, of course, if you are a global platform, that's going to increase the cost of just trying to comply with all of these different legislations. And if your business model is to try and create a platform that works in all jurisdictions in the same way, you know, is it then gonna be, you're gonna have to comply with the strictest regulator um, and that stifles your ability to innovate in potentially other jurisdictions. So there, there is gonna be quite a tension um, as, as the regulators develop their own, um, their own systems. Um, the optimist in me hopes that, you know, through things like um, the European Competition Network or the OECD, um, there will be conversations between the regulators and there is some harmonization and, and, and common understanding. But, um, but that will take some while to develop, I think. Um, you know, I think some regulators more openly are looking what others do and some think they know all the answers and, and they're going to take their own views. Um, and I saw that um, uh, Coselli, who's the, the acting head of the UK CMA at the moment, has already flagged up that this is one area where it's going to be testing the, uh, the outcome of Brexit quite clearly, because they will be looking to pass their own UK legislation to regulate big tech platforms, while very consciously following and looking to what the European Commission is doing with the DMA and the SEA, but they could end up diverging. So, you know, that's one area that is worth watching out for. Yeah, yeah, uh, Alexandra, you are absolutely right. Um, I think that, you know, if you want to address the challenges of the uh, digital market of, in the digital age, it's essential that uh, regulators across different countries and regions work together, but also that regulators across different sectors work together. Mm -hmm. Because digital markets uh, in the end operate globally uh, uh, and also, well, of course, these uh, big tech companies are tech companies by definition, but they are increasingly making inroads into different sectors other than technology. Uh, from healthcare to retail, but also financial services and, and, and media. So international cooperation, but also cross-sectoral cooperation would be, would be crucial in, in regulating the, the digital markets in, in the future. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there, because of course, you're going to have quite different dynamics and different sectors of the economy, but all ultimately facing similar tech issues. And so, you know, do you have a regulator that understands both the sector approach and the antitrust um, dynamics that, that come to play. Um, so yes, it's, um, it's, a, it's a sharp learning curve, I think, for a lot of people. Clearly, there are a lot of issues and um, interesting discussions still to be had on this topic um, and will be um, lively debates for the next few years. But um, in the meantime, thank you very much for this um, interesting discussion, Laura. I've really enjoyed it.
Thank you very much, uh, Alexandra. I think we have covered a lot of very interesting topics. Uh, yeah, um, I look forward to seeing what, what the main developments on, on this will be.